It's Friday, February 9th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 474 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 42 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. And my name's Chip. All right, so we are going right off the prior episode. It's been weeks. What are you talking about? It's been a week since we recorded. <laughs> it's literally been five minutes. But all right, so we did do a lot of gossiping in that five minutes. It's also amazing about the board went from 12 to 15 things that I'm not allowed you to You know, discuss. there actually really did used to be a big board. There was a four foot by eight foot dry erase board in the original recording studio <laughs> that we just called the big board after Strange Love. Strange Love, yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> he's looking at the big board. <laughs> there is no fighting in the war room. <laughs> so <laughs> we had a big board that we would use to keep our ideas on. If anyone mm-hmm. had an idea, they'd write it up there. And then on the right half of it, wives I would. Wives of donuts. The wives of donuts. Yeah, we had a wives of dorks, but it looked like donuts for some mm. reason. Because I wrote it. And. On, then on the right side, I would put the outline for the current episode. And then I went from doing on the big board to having one in hand to now I have ideas in my head, but more is kind of freestyle it. All right, but the story of the big board actually ties into something that I want to talk about right here. Because, Brodor, there's something you said in the prior episode that reminded me of a story that happened somewhere else. But this ties right into a gaming topic. All right. Now, I know on Fear the Boot, we try to avoid religious and political topics. And I'm not going to get religious or political here. I'm not going to start stumping a viewpoint. But this is going to be a story about my life that happens to involve church. Okay. So not the guy who runs Traveler. Right. Though, do go to church. He runs Traveler. But this this is <laughs> church is in the an organization or a building or whatever. Not not it's in the guy that runs Traveler. I just want him See, to have vestments. <laughs> See, that's how you do secret messages that many people won't get. All right. So what happened to the big board was when we moved to a different room, there really wasn't a good place to hang it. And I wasn't getting that much use out of it anymore. The way we'd done the show had just evolved. And so what happened to it? is in the room where I teach on Sunday mornings at church before the service, there's a whiteboard in there. And I sometimes whiteboard a lot while I'm teaching my subjects, you know, laying out histories or grammars or things. There's all kinds of stuff that I I write out there. And the one that was in there was not very good. It was old. It was chipped. It was in bad shape. So Carl asked, hey, why don't we just take the one from the Fear of the Boot room and just donate it to the church, and that could become your new whiteboard in there. And I'm like, and we'll write it off as $10,000 worth of whiteboard yeah, on our taxes. And boom. Exactly. And, and <laughs> Fear the Boot's a huge tax scam. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which I shouldn't joke about, because the IRS actually is auditing not the last Fear the Con, but the one before that for some reason. <laughs> for the $3 they're going to get out of it. I, I have no idea why they're doing this. But anyway, so the point being, though, that it got donated to the church, all right? Mm-hmm. so. What that got me thinking about, along with what Brodor was saying, was the last time that I was I was teaching up there, so it was a week or two ago, I was kind of working through the process of how I prepped the lessons that I taught, because I thought it made for an interesting spiritual or moral object lesson. And I said, you know, when I walk in here, I like to have a topic prepared. I like to have my homework done. 
But if I believe what I'm teaching in here, then I also have to accept that to some extent that I'm serving a higher purpose and that there are certain things that are out of my control. I might be having an impact on someone without realizing what I'm doing. You know, I might say something and have no idea how much that means to somebody who's struggling with that right now, okay? And so what I talked about, and it just so happened that the pastor was sitting in on my class that day, trying to make sure that the rumors he heard weren't true. <laughs> no, he's, he's a really good guy. He just walks right up, grabs your hand, and smells all your fingers. <laughs> he looks at that really long pinky fingernail I've got and smells my breath. And no, yeah. all right, no, but he, he happened to be sitting in there. His name's Harvey. And I said, I love how you're making the cocaine. Yeah, I am. I'm doing the cocaine. Now, see, now. I went the whole sticking fingers in people route and you went no, to no. drug the, use. People of wealth like Dan just go straight. To <laughs> yeah. Cocaine. Are you kidding? He's got a he's got a silver cocaine spoon. <laughs> it's like some people. Some people have like those porcelain spoons for caviar. He's got special spoons. But, but he's for his coke. But he's such a cocaine file that yeah. he doesn't use gold or platinum. Oh, no, it's got to be silver. I don't cocaine. Yes. My cocaine spoon <laughs> is actually a. Seriously, I want to try cocaine so bad. <laughs> <laughs> is a near superconductor because I don't like for it to touch. I don't like for my cocaine to touch metal. Right. So it hovers the cocaine <laughs> yeah. just above the spoon. So yeah. I can totally. <laughs> okay. So we're talking about church and cocaine. Oh, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I was talking, I was sitting there and I just happened to look at Harvey, who's the pastor while I was discussing this. And I said, you know, on the one hand, you're like, Harvey, you got dime. You, you want me. <laughs> You want to kind of shake that baggie at me? No, and I said, you know, you want to you want to come in here and you want to do what's right and you want to say what you're supposed to. But I said, being human, this is a human frailty that when I come in here, there is a part of me that also is focused on the performance. Do I speak well? Do people seem engaged? Do I have something profound to say as opposed to rehashing a point people have made a hundred thousand times over? Because we do that on Fear the Boot. Yeah, because <laughs> I already do that on Tuesdays. Or, you know, <laughs> I say pointless crap people said a hundred times before. Do I really want to do it here? So, no, I mean, seriously, though. But I and, and I was talking to Harvey, and I'm like, that's got to be something that goes on with you, too. And he totally admitted it. He's like, it is. You know, it's human nature. I mean, you know you're here for a higher purpose. But at the same time, you want to feel good about the mm -hmm. product. And it's it's a human frailty. Let me stress that. We try to think deeper. You know, I, I don't go to some mega church where people are going around in Rolls Royces, except me. But <laughs> fat that, off that podcasting. That has, that has, yeah, I was going to say, that has nothing to do with religion yeah. and everything to do with patrons. The horses that pull the servants that pull my Rolls Royce <laughs> <laughs> to our crystal church. <laughs> On Mars. <laughs> <laughs> what we came down to in that was there were two parts to what was going on there. There is either the deeper benefit to the group of people, which is I come in and I say something and people may look bored and heck, maybe 90% of the room is checked out. Maybe I don't deliver it well. Maybe I stumble over my words. Maybe I botch all of my metaphors or whatever it is I have in mind. Maybe I skip numbers in my numbered list. That'd be terrible. <laughs> but it really has a positive impact on somebody. You know, I find out later, or maybe I don't find out at all, but somebody is really struggling with something in their life, and what I said that morning has an effect on them. 
there's things that happen in that setting that they just don't train you for because they can't train you for. And I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. This is just a real story. I came in one morning with this lesson prepared and I didn't know, I wasn't feeling real confident about it. And as we're kind of talking around the room, socializing a little bit, work down the lesson, I come to find out one of the people in there is actively contemplating suicide. Needless to say, changes everything that I say over the next 30 to 45 minutes. Entire planned performance out the door, right? Because there's business that had to be done there. And I don't know what amount of impact I had, but I know I had some impact, one, because he told me so, and two, because he's still alive. So, you know, there's that sort of aspect of things. But then, like I said, there's the human side where if you walk in there and you wow everybody and you make a great speech and you do this, that, and the other, and you feel really good about it on a human level, but you didn't actually move the needle in terms of improving anyone's life, in terms of really giving people something to build off of, something to improve themselves on, something to be encouraged by, then what have you really done? I may walk out of there feeling great about it. Now let's take this to gaming. In that game where we had the whole thing going on below the arch and I had that scene mapped out where the arch... By the way, if you haven't listened to last la- episode... Listen to the last episode, yeah. right. This is part two. This so is, you're going to miss something. The arch blowing up and all that stuff. There are two ways I could have gone there. And Broder, you hit on this. And it's a, it's a great point. I could have continued with and focused on what I think makes for a good game by virtue of satisfying me as a game master. I stick to the performance. I tell the story I want to tell because I'm proud of that story because I spent the whole drive home listening to this. Are you just trying to guilt me? No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm building a castle here so I can knock it down just to show why it's, it's, it's wrong. I'll keep mixing my metaphors here. It's a paper tiger. It's nothing. This is okay. But <laughs> it's, it's a touchdown. It's a moonshot. It's, <laughs> it's like when Babe Ruth pointed at the basket that he was going to throw the golf ball into. <laughs> no, but all right. But I could have brought all that, right? You know, the scene that I'd worked out to this dramatic song that inspired me, which checked mm-hmm. last week's show notes for that song and all this stuff. And maybe it would have made me feel good at the end. And maybe you guys would have even enjoyed it as well. But really what I'm doing is just servicing my own ego. And by ego, I don't mean arrogance. By ego, I mean ego in the Freudian sense. I am serving my own motivations, my own sense of self, my own sense. I'm serving me, right, by putting on that performance. And I feel pleased by it. And maybe you guys like it. But what I am taking away is that chance for you guys to walk away with something that was meaningful and profound to you, even if it is not at all the performance that I had planned. And that was that's something that as a game master you have to let go of. Because, once again, Broder, this is something you talked about last episode. You know, you talked about how what occurred in that scene is I had a choice where I could have stonewalled Chad's actions, I could have had people who I knew were powerful enough that, quite frankly, the dice were going to be all but irrelevant anyway. If Casey tried to strong-arm him back to the boat, he's not going to. It's just not going to happen. 
you know, he's going to get drugged back to the boat. And the plot goes down exactly the way I want. But I have taken away Chad's agency. I've taken away broader your drugged at the time, but what little yeah, my, agent, my agency was already, you know, compromise and <laughs> ruling. You know, what, what agency you had, I would have taken away well, from the opportunity for the group to build something that to, together that is bigger and more important than what I was building by myself on the drive home. I will say that Songbird did have agency though. It was just before she got zapped by the needle because the whole thing was that there was a computer that was the launch computer, whatever that had two thumbprint readers and it required her thumbprint and songbird did it. Press the thumbprint. I willingly. So the first time, the second time you were drunk, right? But willingly. So what actually activated because leopard couldn't activate it by himself. He needed two thumbprints from people that are in his organization. And because of the fact that he had hoodwinked the guy interrogating him, which was an NPC, on what the device did, he managed to get you in the room, which, by the way, was also one of his plans, was he was intentionally withholding information with the idea that, oh, no, I need Songbird in here to... Right. Lee wasn't even supposed to come along. No. He wasn't. Yeah. It, that was you volunteered I, to do that. Why did he do that? And but there's he, a reason. But he needed Leopard needed Songbird in there to mm-hmm. act finish activating the device. His thumb alone would not do it. Oh, I, yes. I, I I'm sitting on that park bench. I could have just pulled out my regular pistol and shot him. By the <laughs> time you were on the park bench talking to him, you would never have shot him. Because he was giving you the answers. Because your character's an amnesiac I know, with so many holes I in her memory. Know, and but, he was filling in those holes. But it's some, literally and figuratively. I, <laughs> we had a thing, <laughs> which I, I wasn't sure until he confirmed. Right. But the, the, and, and so for me, for me as a player, I've what, never had an angry rooster on the show yeah. before. Oh. <laughs> For for me as what a, a cock, <laughs> so for me as a player, something that that I think that I could improve upon is it's just shooting people in the face. No, more. is be more proactive about agency. Right. As most of my gaming career, most of my gaming time has been spent as game master, and we all have had those experiences as a game master where you have those players that push too far too hard and they sort of break the immersion of the game by their pushiness and their silliness and their what have you. And so as a player, I try to sit back and I think too much to allow the game master to not get in their way, to let them do their thing, to let them tell their stories and to not it up. Okay. So there's this comic floating around on Facebook right now. And you guys are probably seeing, I think somebody actually posted it back in the fear of the boot group. By the way, I get the sentiment of the comic. I get the joke. I don't, gaming is not serious business, okay? So to the people that are posting it, to the people that, the people are laughing at it, to whoever it is that drew it, I understand what they were getting at and the frustration. But, okay, with that said, now let's take it too seriously. (laughs) There's, There's this comic floating around of this game master and on the table, I mean, it looks like a and d game because there's this, like, oversized D20. Because that's the only thing people play. Right. Is D20 fantasy of some kind. Mm. But over on one uh, side, uh, yeah, 
it's, it's, it's over on one side. It shows like this king looking figure with like a dragon next to it. And this Marcus carefully crafted plot. <laughs> and then over on the other side is like some random bunch of faceless villagers. And the party's all gathered around one of the villagers with, and there's like heart bubbles everywhere and, and whatnot. And the GM's like face palming and he's, he's got claw marks in the D 24 where he's scratching it. And I don't remember what the caption is, but something about, you know, when players latch onto something random and ruin your perfectly crafted plot or, or whatever it is. All right. And once again, I get the sentiment of the comic and, and mm. I've been They're there. Just wrong. But <laughs> when I looked at that, I'm like, these players have not ruined your game. Yeah. These players have made your game excellent. You didn't understand what your game is. Right. I mean, if you have this game world, I mean, if the players were just in the middle digging a hole through the table and doing just random right. bizarro stuff, I'd say, okay, maybe you've lost control here. If the party was splitting in six places on the table, I'd say maybe you've got a bomb on your hands. <laughs> but if you've got heart bubbles coming out of these little player character minis, you know, which are for stand-ins mm. for the players, if you've got heart bubbles coming out of them over an NPC over in the town, you have built an outstanding game. Right. And your players have, they're not ruining it. Man, they're launching this thing into orbit. Yeah. You All this carefully crafted plot you have needs to shift away from your boring-ass king yeah. and be retooled for maybe, your awesome-ass peasant village. Maybe you just need to accept that your king, who looks strangely like the king you. from Strong Bad. <laughs> no, he looks like the king from, the, from Homestar Runner. Oh. But you need to let go of that. And this goes back to, once again, you have to make this game about what the group is building together and not what you as the game master dropped on the table in front of them. I, I think that I have said this before on the mics, but managing a game as a game master is so much like managing a team or managing a group of people in the workplace. And one of the most important lessons about management that I learned years ago from, from Dave Wallace was even though it may not be important to you, what your employee is talking about, the issues that they are addressing are important to them. So you need to take them seriously. Same thing is true for game mastering. If there is a plot thread or an NPC or an issue or a quest that they are gravitating to, you need to make that your focus, even if it's not important to you because it's important to them. Absolutely. And I don't think it is the job of the players to try and figure out and mollycoddle what you as the game master want. Now, let me couch that on the opposite side by saying I do think it is the responsibility of the players to be group oriented and the game master is part of the group. I don't think the players should be going out of their way to antagonize the GM, to intentionally torpedo plot points, to you know, just be making jokes and never on topic and, and whatever. I think they should be invested. But if they are playing the game sincerely and honestly and whatever, and they just get out of it or do something with it, something that you didn't write down, that's the point of gaming. I mean, if that's not the point of gaming, then I don't understand what the point of gaming is. If you once, as we've said many times, if the game master wants to tell a story, great. Call up your local library and tell them you'd like to do story time for fifteen or thirty minutes. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be happy to have you. Right. 
there's no need to involve dice and Cheetos in this. Or maybe there is. I mean, but, okay, you know, maybe there dice is. Dice are cool. Yeah. I like Cheetos. But we can do like still. a king cake with Cheetos. There Just do a bowl of Cheetos and throw a few <laughs> D6s in there. And see. <laughs> That's a lawsuit waiting. That is a lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I thought of, Broder, when yeah. you talked about. I was just thinking about, you know, Cheetos. You remember that? What was that candy that, that like, lick them sticks, or you had, like, that vanilla yeah. ugly stick, and you would stick it in powder? Of, like, Kool-Aid powder? Now, now I'm thinking of, like, powdered Mountain Dew and taking your <laughs> Cheetos and just... <laughs> uh, or snorting powdered mountain dew uh, it's called yeah. fun dip and i still eat it oh they're disgusting you're just no. taking your spit laden and you're t- I'm, I'm a guy who i will have my dog eat off of my spoon and then i'll keep yeah. using that same spoon Ew. i will not Gross. take that stupid and then the spit and saliva all over the paper wrap it. oh it's ugh. yours it's not your dog <laughs> it's still disgusting i don't do puff oh. puff pass with my dog <laughs> I, just, I, just the, I don't get my dog high. Just the horses. <laughs> yeah, just the horses. <laughs> and sometimes, the wallabies. Sometimes there's a back and forth with like the carrots or apples. <laughs> right. Of, of, you know, Chief takes a bite, I take a bite. <laughs> but, no, no, all right. You know what that kind of gaming reminds me of? And, and I don't say this disparagingly. I just say this more as like, I don't understand it. Mm. it it'd be like if you're going to say, well, I need someone to pick me up from the airport. And let's just pretend, Chad, you worked an hourly job. You don't. Let's just pretend Thank you God. did. Let's just pretend you did. Not anymore. And everyone's like, well, why don't you just get like a cab or an Uber or something? Like, eh, I don't want to do that. Ubers don't go to our airport. I know. I know actually they do. Oh, no, they do now. They do yeah, now. They, they do them. now. Yeah. And I'm like, used well, to be you had to give your Uber a hug when you went to our airport so that when the cops walked around, they'd go up to you and they say, hey, do you know that guy? And you'd be like, no, that's my Uber. They'd give him a ticket. So the Uber drivers, when they drove you to our airport, would say, hey, can you give me a hug or shake my hand like we know each other? So, yeah, it looks like it's family, it's family or friends dropping or something. You off. Yeah. Yeah. But let's say that you were like, well, I can't pick you up from the airport. So I should just get like an Uber or a cab. And I'm like, well, no, I don't want to do that. But I tell you, what, if you come out here, I'll... Give you twenty bucks for the dry, for the ride, and I'll give you twenty bucks. Twenty for bucks, forty and, bucks, and and hell, I'll even give you a rating on Uber. And pretty soon, whoa, I'm not even on Uber. Yeah, it's like, why don't you just get an Uber? I mean, you've, yeah. you've and in the same way, when I look at that style of gaming, I don't say this to be disparaging. I just say it's more. I don't understand. Why don't you just run a module? Right. I mean, if right. you have this much, well, where you, you essentially are. I mean, here's you, the plot. Here's the yeah. whatever. And it's got to go this way. The most angry I have ever been as a player, a buddy of mine who's still a buddy of mine and a great guy and super creative and generally a very good game master, is running a Shadowrun game. And I decide that I'm going to go reconnoiter the meeting point before we meet the bad guys for the exchange of the MacGuffin, right? So we're going to give them the thing and they're going to give us the MacGuffin and everything's going to be great. And I'm going to go scope it out. And he essentially tells me that I can't take that action. I can't go scope it out because they'll kill me. And I'm like, well, well, wait a minute. Then just then I get killed. Right. Right? Because your character doesn't know. Right. Because I I have no idea who's there. I have no idea that it's a trap. I have no idea that any of those things have occurred. And why did you just tell me that? Why did you spoil it? So let me go. And then I'll die, yeah. and it'll suck. But I'll make a new character, and then that will there will be consequence to my actions. Sure, because it got to the point where I was like, you know what? Fine, f- it. you know what? You just play my character. 
I'll roll the dice. You tell me what actions I take and what I need to roll. And we'll just do well, that. And, and because look at the exchange that's happening. The exchange was not the world interacting with the character or the character interacting with the world. The exchange was the game master interacting with the player. The exchange there was the right. game master and, controlling the player right. to say, you may not do this. Not, okay, let's work this out and see if you succeed or fail. And I was like, damn it, you have an obligation as the game master to change things, right? So if I go and I see that it's a trap and they catch me, well, then I die. That's fine. Or you, the game master, actually, I don't because I don't know what's there. I don't know what's going to happen. It's not real until you tell me it's real. So I don't know. Change the fucking situation to adapt to my play style, right? So just be like water, and that it, oh it made me so mad. I'm like I'm fuming about mm-hmm. it right now because I was like, I, there's so many different, better ways that you could have handled this, right? <laughs> it's well, it's it's an attitude. That boils down or shaped by a question that may never be consciously asked aloud, but it's being asked subconsciously or quietly or whatever. The question is this. Whose benefit is the game for? Is the game for the benefit of the players? Is it for the benefit of the game master? Or is it for the benefit of everyone that's in attendance, with each with their own distinct role to play? And... I've seen both extremes, and I've seen certainly the middle road. Yeah, I've seen the extreme where the game master comes in, and the game master has a plot in mind, and they have their golden NPCs I'm not supposed to touch, and they have their plot-powerful things out there, and they have their world, and they have a railroad I'm supposed to be on. And if I hop off that, woe be unto me. There's going to be a person-to-person warning of, don't you do that again, or I'll kill your character. Quite frankly, that's just petty bullying. And I don't think the intention's to bully. No, 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 no. Well, in some cases it is. But I'll have to play the devil's advocate here. You know me, I kind of like the improv thing. I kind of like, you know, giving the players agency. It's all a collaborative thing. But just so that there's a voice of the other side, when I was at Fear the Con... Broder's giving me that. Yeah. No, I just, I just, I, I love when you put on your contrary hat. We're like, mm, allow me to be contrary. <laughs> contrary. Well, I, I feel that there's a certain percentage of listeners right now who are screaming at their, at their radio or pod device or whatever the hell. They're, pod, they're, pod, pod they're device punching their monitor. They're, yeah, they're just like, like, how dare you? Well, no, what they're doing is they're emailing me because they know they won't get through to Dan. Yes. So and I don't have one. And boom. Boom. And then I get all of it. So <laughs> But where I'm going with this is I was at Fear of the Con, the last Fear of the Con, and I signed up for a game. I forget what it was called. It was it was a dread game. And it was a camp and it was like sort of uh psycho axe murderers and it was like some ghost thing and possessions and weird Indian burial ground type type stuff, right? It was that kind of horror game. A summer camp. Horror, horror. Okay, because you said summer camp. I was like whores, whores, oh, right? Horror. Although there were some of those. In fact, my character was one, but it was on the rails. It was one hundred and ten percent on the rails. That's right? Mathematically impossible. I know, but because it was so on the rails, it was really good. And how he made it good was that he had a really solid story. He had really solid characters. And he hand and you want to talk about player agency. He handed us our characters. He defined our personalities and our characters and who we were and what we were doing. And because he did that, it integrated into a story so well. 
there was an understanding that this was a ride that we were getting on a ride and we weren't just, we were not passive observers. It was a lot more active than that. In addition, and I just keep stopping him from talking. It's great. I have this power over Brodor. In addition to that, he had a large tablet set up. And every time we went to a location, because it's summer camp, summer camps have locations, whoop, and there was a different location. So we would go to the main dining hall. And there was this sort of dining hall area, and it was empty. The picture was empty, and the picture was right there. You go to this dining hall, and he wasn't like, this is what you see. You go to this dining hall, and there's these tables, and he's describing the picture that he can't even see because it's like saying in front of him. But he knows what it is. And what's cool about that, take that for a whole bunch of different places and locations and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a horror game. It's haunted and all this stuff. Well, we come back at night. And he has the same picture, only he's done like Photoshop filters on it. And now it's the same picture, only it's at night. Then stuff happens. And now it's covered in like skulls and skeletons are in it. Oh, no. And it was it was a fun ride. But even to call it a ride on the rails is not doing it justice because we interact so heavily with it. To describe it as a ride that you get on is thematically correct, but it also implies that we sat back and, like you said, we we ate our Cheetos and Dice and got our lawyers when we choked, and he was just telling a story, and then it was nap time. But that's not what it was. There was a lot of interaction. Everything was so defined, you knew the framework. You knew the tropes. You didn't know the story. You didn't know what the other people would do, but everybody was on the same ride going together. And there was lots of tension, too, because... He took the characters and he programmed into the characters rivalries, right? Like my character was the big jock, like the stud dumb as bricks jock who had a thing for this girl, this other character, but his main rival was this nerd, the biggest nerd in school who also had a thing for the same girl. And so my character kept beating him up. But even in that, even when you're on those rails, you can still deviate from the meaning because by the end of the game, I expressed my character as beating up the nerd all the time because he was secretly gay and had a thing for the guy, <laughs> which was not written into the characters. So, all right. And that actually came out in the game. Right, like, I, like they were I'm standing. Like, I'm afraid Broder is literally going to explode. <laughs> He's actually turning red. He's, I mean, seriously, he, like Monty Python, meaning of life. He's yeah. about to explode. So or brother, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Or Big Trouble. Oh yeah. my God, I love that movie because uh, it's amazing. So that's a con game. I think that that is necessary for a con game mm. because you have a limited amount of time. You're gaming with people that you don't know, and so putting them on the rails it, it is necessary to facilitate the entertainment. Right. But more importantly, in that situation, it sounds like that the game master put the entertainment of the player audience above their own desires, above their own story, so much so that they had great story, great hooks, great props in order to further entertain the player audience. But more importantly, 
they didn't stop you from having a thing for your jock character having a mm-hmm. thing for the nerd character and they didn't stop you and say no that's not how i wrote it you wouldn't do that blah 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 right. blah blah your character's not gay i refuse well, right none of that occurred mm. to draw this back to the way that i put it before i mean i do think it is important to keep in mind that there are opposing extremes and i'm certainly going to play off of broder's caveat that a con game is is a bit right. of a but I, I don't want to harp on that because I see the point you're making yeah. and I don't want to I don't want to lose sight of the forest by arguing the tree. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk to the tree a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to try and pull it back, talk to the forest. I guess the way that I look at good gaming is it's neither a rail nor an open field. Mm-hmm. It's more like a multi-laned highway. It's the sort of thing where there are many places you can drive. You can pick your speed. You can choose a lot of different things, but you still accept that you are playing along with the general flow and culture of the people that are around you. All right, for example, let's let's take that tree just as an example. If one of you had said, you know what, screw this, I'm going home. Mm-hmm. Obviously, huge dick move. Totally oh, game. No. There was a flood and only one bridge out of the camp, and the bridge got washed out. Yeah, well, in the course of a con <laughs> game, I guess, you know. But, there was a lot of Deus Ex Machina. But, but yeah, I, but, you know, and if you guys really wanted to chase that, you could have kept going, well, that's a role-playing game. It's not a movie. Mm-hmm. We've got rope. We've already established mm-hmm. this. Look, there's rope in the picture. We get the rope, and we start <laughs> getting down to the ravine, and we climb up the other. I mean, my point right, being, right. There's, obvious, there's obviously ways to f*** that which, system, which, you, which you, guys, you shouldn't do. Which you guys should not do. Yeah, because going into it, you... You had an agreement. Right. There was understanding. A tacit agreement. Yeah. yeah. There was an understanding that this will be the experience. To go back to my Shadowrun analogy, there was no such agreement. Right. Yeah. No. Right. And I, precisely. And and because there's a stated social contract, mm-hmm. or unstated social contract, rather, that you are going into a horror game. And as a result, you are going to abide by the tropes and the genre yeah. of a horror game. Which includes things like you're not going to first things first is you call dad and and <laughs> T sends in a private. Don't too far away. It was in the 80s. There's no cell phones, and the rain knocked out the phones. <laughs> oh, believe none of us were trying to get off the rails. All of us bought our tickets and wanted to get on this ride. Right. And he made sure. All the safety belts were on <laughs> and checked, and we weren't going to fall now, off. See, that's and an experience that would, yeah, that sounds very, very enjoyable. Yeah, but, but there was an expectation. But, Absolutely. You know, on the flip side, I mean, was there, and maybe there was, I don't know, but was there a point, because I'm going to guess not, where you said, okay, we're going to go back to the dining hall? And he's like, no, you just can't do that. No. Or uh, I'm going to look under the table. No, you're just not allowed to do that yet. Um. I will say broadly 99% he did not do that. Right. He ran a great game. It was a lot of fun because everyone was on board with the concept. I don't remember what I did, but I did do something like I asked or tried to declare an action that was out of bounds very early on in the game because I did not 100% understand how on the ride we were. I was like 80% there. And so I'm like, well, this. And he's like, oh, well, he didn't even tell me no. He kind of ignored what I said. (laughs) 
Horror movies, and though. Okay, so I'm you, like, oh, I'm, I see now. Right, and then I, I was on board. I know there's like 18 of them, but have you seen the first Scream movie? No, but I'm familiar. The good one. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So, so for anyone who's not familiar with the movie Scream, the setup of it is there is a serial killer who's killing off a bunch of teenagers and twenty somethings, but there is one character in particular in there who follows the trope they call genre aware mm-hmm. that he does not know. He's not like Deadpool. He, he's not fourth wall breaking, right? He doesn't know that he's in a horror movie, but he knows all the genre of how a horror story plays out. And he, from the start calls how all of it is going to go down. In fact, it, I, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but there's one point where I think he has the opportunity to have sex. He's like, no, I'm not <laughs> doing it because right. anyone who has sex is going to get killed. I, I don't remember. There's something to that effect that, you know, he works out the entire flow of the movie from the start because of the fact that he is genre aware. Right. But horror movies in general, mm-hmm. especially if you go with like the Freddie, Michael, Jason type movies, they follow a very predictable story arc. And so I think to even beyond that in the first place, I mean, like Broder said, that's that's the ride that you've bought on to. You know this is what you've signed up for. And I think going back to the, the central thesis of this, if you're going to tell a 1980s slasher role-playing game, and this that is a what, summer camp. At a summer camp. And this is what the whole specific kind of movie. This is what the whole group is there for. Yeah. Then what is the best benefit to the group experience? Yeah. It's to stay within the bounds of that trope and on a highway that might have slightly narrower lanes. And that is true for both the players and the game master. The game master needs to stay in those bounds, and the players need to not on the flip side program. If I'm running an inspector's game, we're part of it's part and parcel that there's going to be all this madcap craziness and people throwing (laughs) unexpected things at you. And someone spends their confessional chip and is like, well, this, this and this. I'm like, nope. Right. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the reverse thing, right? With something like inspectors where the game master just comes up, not even with a plot or an idea comes up with like an opening couple of sentences and then the players just take the game from there. There still needs to be unspoken boundaries. Like we're playing inspectors and we go investigate a haunted house and the house is haunted by a chocolate loving demon and all the chocolate in the city is gone. And to get rid of the demon, we have to fight. And all the players are coming up with all of this. And then somebody, like you said, rolls the dice to make something true in the world or spins a confessional token to make something true in the world. And they sit down and they say, and then that's when captain Picard beamed me up to the starship enterprise. (laughs) And we sailed off into the gamma quadrant. And it's like, dude, what the f you just, We had a great game going. You just ruined it. And they could turn around and legitimately say, well, no, I could do anything I want. It's my confessional and and it's player agency and we can do anything we want. It's like, you know, in Big Lebowski, it's like, yeah, you're right, but you're still an asshole. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to. (laughs) (laughs) I love that movie. Oh, it's great. Why did they do that? Did Mm -hmm. they do that for the benefit of the group? Did they do that for the 
benefit of the game as a whole, or did they do that purely to amuse themselves? You I mean, know what? Actually, I think it is a different option. and Or maybe they're oblivious. Well, yeah. See, what I have seen, because I've seen, not necessarily in inspectors, but just in this broad scope of gaming I've had over the years, when I've seen that happen, say, it, what, what's the saying? Do not uh, say it's malice, what can be attributed oh, to stupidity. Oh, Hanlon's Razor. Do, yeah. do not attribute to malice anything that can be explained by ignorance. Right. And that's that's what I've seen. I've seen it where we've gone in for one kind of game, but one player is playing the same game, but a different genre. And it's yeah. like... They don't get it. Yeah, they, I mean, they just don't, they're not being mean or anything. They just don't get it. Sure. And that, yeah, that's a different issue. It's, it's, they, they don't get it and they need to sit down after the game, I think, is right. a little different than somebody who's just willfully... Yeah. And once again, it can be a game master, it can be a player, it can be anyone, mm-hmm. but someone who's pursuing something that's not yeah. part of that benefit of the game. So I, mean, I think that it goes back to the adage of the zero session. It's sort of mm-hmm. like... When I get a new massage therapist, we <laughs> have to discuss boundaries, our prices. boundaries, expectations. Well, they have to tell you the boundaries or they're calling the police. Happy ending, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. We need to have that understanding. We need to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Con game, railroad. All con games should be railroads. I, unless that con game is the Utomi system. <laughs> if you're playing Panthro... And you got a dolomite like pimp cane pair of nunchucks. You tell me what happens. Because <laughs> you're just there for the ride. That's going to happen. Panthro is going to have the most amazing afro. Because unlike <laughs> that racist ass cartoon where they made him shave his head. Mm-hmm. I just have no idea what to do with that one. So. Let it roll. Afro is not on the board. No, it's not. Dolomite. What's not wrong on with the board. afro? Boom. You know why dolomite's bad? He's a Thank you, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Week, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode of the Not First You can find previous episodes and other resources at FearTheBoot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at the RPGAcademy.com slash network.